What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. Your favorite Star Trek podcast, favorite Star Trek podcast, unless somebody's already stolen that. Then we're just the cool, scrappy, underdog Star Trek podcast. I'm David Majors. Uh, we're back, everybody. I had a little bit of a tizzy with the Bajoran Provisional Government over my quarters, but everything's good now. We're, we're all good. And I'm joined by my co-host, Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What's up, David? You know, I heard you were like sleeping in the promenade for a week till you got that quarter situation straightened out. Uh, so. uh, I, I'd rather, I'd rather not let hear security hear about that, Heather. Thank you. <laughs> okay, but, uh, I'm not I, gonna rat on, on you to Odo. I'm not that kind of gal. Come on. I, I appreciate uh, that. So. Uh, but- Yes, uh, everything is good with my home. The Bajoran Provisional Government uh, took care of everything, and uh, I have the Latinum, and everything's good to go. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, we're we're going to talk about a whole bunch of Star Trek stuff, Heather, and there's so much Star Trek going on, we had to enlist another guest. So uh, who, who did we get this time? We had to enlist another guest, and I'm so excited can't talk today. I am so excited to invite my good friend on to help us go through all the extra Star Trek stuff we have to talk about today. I actually first met him on a podcast (laughs) when we got to rant and rave about how much we loved the season two premiere of Star Star Trek Discovery. So it's only fitting that he was one of the first people I wanted to give an opportunity to come on our own podcast to talk with us. Uh, so our guest today is Mr. Patrick Escudero. Thank you for coming on, Patrick. Thank you, Heather and David, for having me. I, I'm excited in that intro. I don't know. That seems like a lot of expectations to live up to. <laughs> and uh, David, I, I'm, I'm David, I'm sure uh, Cork would have let you sleep in the bar for just a moderate sum of gold press latinum a, a moderate sum moderate, sure moderate. sure I, I i had better luck with with staying on the couch of one of the dabo girls i'll just say that much. <laughs> so but no, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and thank you for having me uh thank you for coming on uh we're both really excited uh so let's just jump in for new listeners of the pod uh we do things uh with old business new business, and upcoming business. And we're going to start with the old business. And we're going to talk about uh, a tried and true topic in the world of Star Trek, uniforms. Uh, Star Trek, through the series, the films, has had a ton of different uniform choices over the years, over the centuries, over the generations, uh, over the universes. Uh, but I'll ask you, Heather, to start off with, uh, as far as Star Trek uniforms, give me one or two of your favorites just to start off. Well, you know, I, I mean, there's so many Star Trek uniforms that are just classic that immediately pop into your head when you think about Star Trek in general. Uh, but when it comes to my personal favorite uniforms... I'd like to think that I have two examples uh, that are definitely are not ones that immediately pop into a layperson's head. Uh, <laughs> so my, one of my favorites is the uniforms that they're wearing in uh, Nemesis at Troy and, uh-huh. Troy and Riker's wedding. The white. The whites. Yes. 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 Th- that, I, is, that is my all-time favorite. I, I think they're just so clean cut and they're they're classic. And uh, my second favorite, which kind of goes along with that, the same sort of style where um, as much as I love the blue, red and yellow, um, I, I you can tell with both these picks that I kind of lean towards uh, 
uniform choices that go away from that. So my second favorite would be the monster maroons of the TOS movies. Um, There's just something very classy about those that they actually look like a uniform and they don't just look like a shirt that you threw on today. (laughs) Like, like the TOS uniforms kind of did, you know, they actually kind of look uh, very uniform with just a small, difference in color to delineate uh, someone's department rather than the entire shirt being that color. So that's what I kind of lean towards. I will say that that's exactly why I love the the service whites from the TNG movies, because they are the ones to me that look the most like an actual naval nautical uniform. Uh, And they look really, really cool and and very professional. They, They look like what you would imagine a real military nautical uniform would look like. Uh, to your point about the movies from the original cast, uh, I'm probably on an island on this one, and, and Patrick, please feel free to chime in. But most specifically, the kind of white grayish uniforms from the motion picture are ones yes. that I always liked. I like yes. those. I am an unabashed fan of the motion picture, which I'm pretty sure I've shouted to the heavens on Twitter throughout the years. There um, are dozens of us, Patrick. There are dozens of us. <laughs> uh, especially the Admiral uniform, the Kirk's uniform, when you, we first see him uh, coming off of that shuttle. Uh, that's probably one of my top favorite uniforms in Trek. Yet, oddly enough, I didn't actually pick that as one of mine. Well, what have you got? Well, I kind of scoured through everything. Um, and maybe because it's one of the newer movies out there um, from Star Trek Beyond is what I'm referring to. I love the look, the update they did for uh, Beyond when it came to the uniforms. I like the ones from Into Darkness and from 2009. Um, but the ones from Beyond really felt a little bit more like a uniform, kind of that idea you were both talking about where it's not just kind of a shirt you threw on. Um, it actually felt a little bit more like a uniform. It was a little more defined, um, had that kind of extra collar in the neck um, that kind of it, it didn't just kind of lay there. There were there's certain times when you watch Into Darkness in 2009, at least in my opinion, um, where they almost look a little not cheap, uh, but I, I just don't like the look of them sometimes. Um, so that was my my kind of the one that I decided to pick out of so many. I mean, honorable mentions to TNG season three. And going forward uniforms, I love those. I love the Enterprise uniforms, but I decided to go with the the Kelvin uh, timeline Star Trek Beyond uniforms, maybe to be a little bit different. Okay, okay, I I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I always felt like I don't know why when it came to the Kelvin uniforms, uh, especially the uniform shirts. Uh, I feel like those were the prime example of what Heather was describing uh, in that they just kind of look like a shirt you put on, mm-hmm. which yeah. I, I guess in space, uh, when a lot of things are happening, it, you might not want to wear something bulky and uncomfortable like a red spacesuit. Uh, when it comes to my Star Trek uniforms, I am very anti-flight suit, except for Enterprise. Uh, I'm very pro-pants. Uh, and that's why another one that I I'm has kind of become a recent favorite of mine is the uh, Star Trek Picard twenty three ninety nine uniform. Uh, I like that it still is reminiscent of the TNG era, but it also has some differences. Instead of the pips being on the collar, they're on the breastplate area of the shirt. So they're a little more prominent, a little more visible. Um, I like that the the Delta symbol is more of a gray or a silver than a gold. And I just like that the coloring is a little different from the TNG era. And I, I really liked those for the short time we saw them in Star Trek Picard. Uh, and th- that is one of them that I do have. Uh, Heather, uh, I know that you have a couple of different Star Trek uniforms. Uh, which ones do you have? Which ones do you own? Uh, well, I have an original TOS uh mini skirt <laughs> dress um a 
Picard era twenty three ninety nine and a um, Discovery season two slash upcoming Strange New Worlds uh, red shirt. So I, one of the things I want to point out, like especially since we're talking about uniforms, that I love that they've done with uh, particularly Discovery and the uniforms on the Enterprise is that instead of having pips, they've translated that into their uniform. So like their rank can be shown by like it, with the Discovery uniforms, it's kind of like the amount of stripes on their shoulders, as well as like I, I think it has to do with like ridge, ridges on their their Delta badge too. But then also in like the Enterprise uniform, it's like their rank is done by like the stripes on the sleeves. And, and that so, is one. That is one hundred percent from the Navy. That is one hundred percent legit nautical uniforms. Uh, with the yeah. stripes on on the co- on the sleeves, and it, it's something that uh, really makes each individual uniform stand out instead of just a a general shirt and adding pips to it. Like it, each uniform shirt stands out depending on the character and the rank and everything like that. And I, I think that's really cool. And a funny side note to that is that. Um, I saw an interview with Gersha Phillips, who's the wardrobe designer on Discovery, where she talked about she basically forgot to add (laughs) some sort of rank symbol to the Enterprise uniforms when she was designing it. And that's how she ended up with putting them on the sleeves, because she forgot about it initially and realized she had to add that in there. So... I, I think it just makes them kind of stand out a little bit more and makes them a little bit more unique than the older ones. I remember reading that that same article that you just mentioned. Um, and I think uh, along with that, even some of the early scenes, uh, maybe with Pike, uh, the stripes on the sleeves are actually digitally added. I yeah. think I, I also read, which is like I, I never noticed. And it's kind of a small thing that you probably have to really look at to notice. But I thought that was interesting that it kind of like they were already filming and she still kind of had to go back and add all that to the uniforms. I have a question for you, Patrick, a very important Star Trek question. Man to man, I suppose. <laughs> scant or no scant? I couldn't pull it off, but I like the scant. I, I um yeah, I definitely couldn't pull it off. I don't even like looking at my own legs, so I don't don't think I could do it. Um, but I like it as an option. Um, I like that even going all the way back to TNG when it first appeared, um, that it, it's kind of one of those uh, more progressive things that Star Trek has done, you know, having the men in the scans. And um, I like it. Again, just couldn't do it myself. I don't, you know, pants all the way. We're, we're pro well, pants here. Uh, go ahead, I- <laughs> I the 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 thing with with scans and TNG the one thing I really like about that is like the I, and I think it's only in season one in, in the later seasons of T, TNG they added pants to it but in season one TNG their dress uniform is basically a scan and so even if you don't choose to wear a scant like well you're regularly on duty if you got to get dressed up you got to wear that dress. <laughs> It is true. I love that. <laughs> uh, I will ask you, Patrick, uh, since Heather and I talked about our cosplay endeavors, uh, what kind of uniforms do you have? So I don't really do too much cosplay. Um, and I had actually forgotten about one uniform I, I do own, pretty much the only uniform I own these days. I have a uh, Kelvin Timeline uh, Circa Into Darkness science uniform, just the top, not the pants, um, and the undershirt. I haven't worn it in years, and in fact, I think it's tucked away deep in a closet somewhere, but um, I actually do own that one. I, I bought it thinking, like, maybe I'd you know, wear it to a convention someday, which a number of years later, I finally did attend STLV, but didn't, uh, didn't wear it then. Um, but I was thinking about this, and I remembered that 11-year-old me actually owned the TNG gold you know, security slash operations uniform, um, and I had the metal badge. Uh, and the rank pips for Lieutenant Commander, because I was a really big Data fan when I was young. And I actually did wear that to a local convention that my dad took me to one time. 
Um, so I don't really own too much these days, but I did at least dress up one time going to a Star Trek related <laughs> convention just a very long time ago. That totally counts. It 100% counts. Uh, let's move into new business because, man, there is a lot of new Star Trek. Uh, we keep saying that every single episode lately. There's a lot of new Star Trek going on. Uh, let's start off with the big event that happened a couple of weeks ago, Star Trek Day, where cast members from pretty much everything from Star Trek, save for the Kelvinverse, uh, spent some time on StarTrek.com. Uh, in a live stream talking about Star Trek, talking about their work on Star Trek and what Star Trek meant to them. Uh, Patrick, I'll start with you. Did you catch uh, any of Star Trek Day? Yeah, I caught uh, caught some of it live uh, and I watched a number of the panels uh, afterwards on YouTube. Um, it was it was really well done, I thought. Um, there was there were some complaints about the San Diego Comic-Con at home panel where there was really wasn't much going on, much new, not too much. Um, oh, you listened you know. to our episode on that, did you? <laughs> I, I, I've listened to that episode and I, I think everybody kind of had the same feeling about it. And I definitely did as well. I was so eager for that. And they, they hyped it up a lot. And then that day of that panel, it was kind of like, mm, OK, that's nice. It was OK. Um, but Star Trek Day was just the exact opposite. I mean, every panel had something to offer from George Takei talking about, um, you know, his time as a young man in these Japanese and in, um, internment camps um, to kind of the, the heartfelt um, DS9 panel where, you know, it definitely got emotional talking about Aaron um, and Renee and their passing in the last, you know, over the last year. Um the Strange New Worlds panel, which was kind of the one I was most looking forward to, I was hoping we'd get a little bit more in terms of news there. Um, but it was just great seeing all of them together, seeing how excited everybody was to kind of get going on that show. It was nice to hear not just from Anson, Rebecca, and Ethan again, but also to hear from some of the other producers that we hadn't really heard from before and maybe didn't even know were producers on the show. Um, Definitely some big Star Trek fans in that group, and I think it's in really good hands, honestly. I definitely made me more excited, and I was pretty much at the peak of my excitement for Strange New Worlds, and I just kind of went through the roof uh, after just hearing them talk about how much they enjoyed Star Trek. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was just really, really well done. Uh, I, I gave them a lot of props online for it. Um, and they, I, I I can't believe, and I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this, that they got Scott Bakula to join. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, Bakula time. <laughs> I think I did hashtag Bakula time on Twitter like 20 times before the actual Star Trek day. And that one did not disappoint. And just the, uh, oh, they, the whole cast had so much love for Scott um, and just so much respect. And it just, like, oozed through that panel in such a great way. I, I loved hearing their stories um i was a little it really did seem it really did seem like the whole enterprise cast is really tight like they all really get along well like the same way with how the voyager cast is really tight and you see how tight the cast of tng is and you're even starting to see that a little bit with the cast of discovery how they're all really really close and seeing that with enterprise is is really really cool yeah i just uh, and it, it each panel there was just something a little bit different. You know, the uniqueness of the cast came out uh, in the discussion. Um, new topics, old topics. You know, we got that kind of lower deck second half of the season trailer. Uh, it just was amazingly well done. I give them all the props in the world for kind of turning, um, you know, a day that we as Trek fans already celebrated into kind of like an official, um, you know, celebration that I hope they continue to do for years to come, even if we end up getting to go back to in-person conventions someday. I think we will, and uh, I'm looking forward to the day that Jolene Blaylock suddenly surprises everybody and shows up completely unannounced and unexpected. That, I'm waiting for that day, because I believe it'll happen. Uh, Heather, how about you? How did you feel about Star Trek Day? What did you get out of it? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm not sure if there's anything else more I can add from everything Patrick said. It, it really was something special, and, and it, it, it was something really nice just to to touch base with every single it did not just 
one or two cast members, but every single show in production right now, uh, previously out there to have a little something of everything for everyone. It, it really was done very well. And, uh, one thing I, I wanted to mention, I love the fact that they had the hosts and the moderators for all these panels were still like they they weren't just Trekkies like they were still part of the family. Like you had Will Wheaton literally. and you had Micah literally Burton, in, who is right. LeVar Burton's daughter. I mean, these two are part of the Star Trek family as well that were doing the hosting duties. So it. it it, it it just it the whole day warmed my heart. <laughs> it really did. And we finally got a new Star Trek Discovery trailer. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> I have watched uh, that trailer over and over again so many times and it just makes me so excited to the point that I'm like crying every time I watch it. I am so pumped for Star Trek Discovery season three. And it's almost here. It really is almost here. Uh, did either of you watch uh, season one's episode one on CBS? Yeah, I did. Um, I actually DVR'd it and then kind of rewatched it the next day. Um, and my dad watched it live, which he hadn't. He doesn't have CBS All Access, and he's more of a Star Wars fan. But I was kind of impressed that I, I talked to him last night, and he said, "Oh yeah, I stayed up and I watched that." And he was like asking me questions. Uh, had some questions about kind of Burnham's uh, motivations. Um, so Disco might have gained another fan by showing season one on uh, on CBS because uh, okay. he's eager to watch the, the okay. next one. And I was like, ah, I, was, I was actually really surprised. You know, I've, he's seen some of season two. I've showed him. He's seen a lot of Picard uh, when he's hung out with, at my house. But yeah, he kind of just did it. He's like, did you see that Discovery is going to be on CBS? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> of course I know. And uh, yeah, so I was I was really surprised. I'm kind of encouraged that he he might end up really liking it. Okay, very good. That's so great to hear because I was a little about season one of Discovery airing on CBS. I was a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit uh, uncertain about it because season one was so polarizing. But yes. that's a great great sign. Uh, I live tweeted a little bit from our Twitter account at Prom Trek Pod for uh, about the first 20 minutes of episode one, uh, just because I love that pilot. It was so well-produced and so <laughs> state-of-the-art. I just loved how, just how good it looked. And I, I love that despite seasons of discovery not being so long you can see how much production is put into it and i love that they're doing that and that gets me so excited there are so many things that i'm excited about for season three of discovery heather uh, i'm right there with you i have watched that trailer so many times just uh, seeing all of it just yes star trek discovery season three it is almost here what guys until that day, we still have episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks to talk about. And uh, we got three episodes to talk about this time around on the podcast. We've got episodes six, seven, and eight. So, Heather, we'll start with you. I'll ask you. Episode six, Terminal Provocations. There was a missing computer core. There was Fletcher. And there was Badgie. Uh I'm just gonna save my thoughts for the end when we when we're all done talking about these. But yeah, episode six. Well, I really enjoyed episode six. Um, I think it it was a story that at this point in the season they needed to tell because it really emphasized that there are certain lines that Mariner won't cross, um, and really made her character stand out that, yeah, she's kind of renegade. She's a rebel. She breaks the rules, but she's not willing to put people in danger. Um, She's not willing to lie uh, to save her own skin. And she'd probably be willing to lie to save other people's skin, but she's not willing to lie to save her own skin. So it, it's, it, it was a story that was really important for the entire scope of the season that it was there. Um, <laughs> and Badgie, I hope we see more of Badgie. <laughs> I think Badgie, Badgie needs to come back. Ridiculous. And I love it. 
Badgie is probably one of the best uh, things introduced on the the show to date. I absolutely loved it. Um, so yeah, I, I I really enjoyed season or episode six. I I I like I liked six and eight. And I got issues with seven. But if you want to go on to Patrick's opinion about six <laughs> first, we'll do that. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, Badgie, if you had told me, you know, a year ago, hey, there's going to be this character animated that's a talking Starfleet badge, um, I would have been like, what? what? Uh, that sounds ridiculous. That's that's crazy. But it was the funniest thing I've seen in so long. I just loved everything they did. And I'm also a big 30 Rock fan. So yes. the voice of Vaggie was Jack McBrayer, who I yes. love. And his voice was perfect for Vaggie. It just, I, I mean, everything about it really just was perfect. Every joke hit with me, which hasn't happened. You know, I love Lower Decks, but not every joke hits with me, uh, which I'm sure is the same for many people. But with Vaggie, it just, I was constantly laughing. Um, it was also nice to hear J.G. Hertzler as the Drukmani captain. Uh, yes. You know, I, that was kind of our first first familiar voice, um, but not the last, uh, not playing his DS9 character, but still, it was, it was good to hear his voice. And it was, he, he did a really good job. There, there were a couple funny lines from uh, from the Drukmani captain. Um, Fletcher was, was ridiculous. And I liked what, I agree with you about Mariner, Heather. Um, it was nice to see kind of, where her boundaries are to see what she's willing to do. And she even probably for the first time, I think explained herself in the way of like, I break the rules because I want to do my job better. And sometimes those rules get in the way, Yeah. but I don't break the rules to be a jerk or to, you know, try to save my own skin. Like you said, um, you know, she, she breaks the rules to try to help others, not to just, you know, to save herself. Uh, but yeah, Fletcher was really funny. He had some, some really funny lines. And then, when the robot Fletcher, after it had um, melded with his brain, started saying all of his lines back. <laughs> every time it gets the, that uh, robot thing gets blown out of the airlock, and <laughs> as it's screaming, "Don't talk about my dad!" It just cracks, <laughs> cracks me up. Um, so yeah, I, I, Terminal Provocations is definitely top three for me, and possibly number one uh, in terms of my lower deck rankings for season one. But we still got a few episodes to go. We do, and I'm going to say that we're going to talk about what I think is number one so far uh, later on. Uh, but episode seven, much ado about Boimler. Uh, Boimler gets phased. Tendi creates the dog, a perfectly normal Earth dog. And the Cerritos gets the Captain Jellico treatment. Now, Heather, you said you had some issues with this one, so I'm going to give you the floor. Yeah, so this one probably comes down to the bottom of my uh, lower decks ranking so far. It, it, it's definitely not an episode for me. Uh, and, and we've talked, well, <laughs> I've talked a lot <laughs> about uh, the importance of representation on Star Trek on this podcast so many times before. And there's so many different forms of it. And much ado about Boimler really takes um, one thing that I think is something Star Trek still needs to work on in this day and age, and that is the representation of disabled people. Um, mm. They really like when when shit goes wrong with Boimler and he's out of phase or whatever, and they basically don't give him a choice. They just say, oh, you're going off to the farm and they're going to take <laughs> care of you there. And he ends up on this ship full of other people who have been disfigured or in scientific accidents and no one knows how to fix them. And all they are is, is basically told by Starfleet that they can't help them and they're going to the farm. And it really paints this picture of Starfleet really separating people that are different and have issues and not really giving them a choice or an option about their future. And I have an issue with that. <laughs> I, 
I have a major issue with that. And I know that Lower Decks is a comedy show and this entire thing was done for comedic effect. But it's not the first time this has come up in Starfleet. Um, there's a lot of exi- there's a lot of examples in DS9 actually uh, with the whole storyline with Bashir and his genetic engineering and his work that he does with the Institute with other people who have been genetically engineered. I mean, I mean that's a prime example of the this same kind of treatment as well. And um, yeah, it, it it's not a good look. It's not something that could it's something that could have been handled a lot better. It ultimately ends up good in the end because the farm is this nice big spa deal <laughs> where they're getting treated be- better than people typically are on a, on a starship. But I I still it it bothers me. <laughs> it still uh, bothers I what I was going to ask you about that. How did you feel about the twist ending and Two, uh, when I was hearing you bring up DS9, it made me start thinking about the idea that here we are in 24th century Earth, and the idea is humanity has advanced so far that advancements in medical science and and all of these things, uh, to a point where if someone has some kind of serious accident... Uh, they are able to be healed more or less and, and recovered. And it it made me think about uh, the episode of DS9 where Dr. Bashir meets the woman that is handicapped. And I believe, if memory serves me, it is where she's given the option or something along those lines where Dr. Bashir gives her the option of potentially walking again. And I think she turns it down. Yeah. Um, right. And it made me think about that because of the idea of here we are. It's the Federation. They're capable of doing all of these things. Uh, and now they're getting moved to the farm, which seemingly was really nice and possibly give them the opportunity to recover. Fully recover from what happened to them. Uh, how do you feel about that? Well, it, my and 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 I have a really, I think, kind of unique perspe- perspective on that because I know uh, some other people who are uh, who also struggle with disabilities don't necessarily view things exactly the same way that I do here. But for me, it's all about choice. Um, Like with that DS9 example that you brought up, she had the choice uh, because she was choosing to live in a high grav environment because she grew up on a planet with low gravity, which is why she had issues walking and, um, getting around in a high gravity environment. And so she, she was given the choice to either adapt herself or keep herself as it was. It's all about choice to me. Um, It's one of the the reasons why I'm a little bit of a defender uh, when it comes to Pike and Vina and the entire cage storyline, because they both had a choice when it comes to staying on Talos for or not. They were given that choice and the choice was up to them. It was not something that was kind of forced upon them. Uh, The whole issue I have with Much Ado about Blamler is that they weren't given a choice. I mean, even Tendi says when they're getting on the ship, we're here under protest because we, <laughs> I don't want to be here. Like they weren't given a choice. They were basically ordered to do it. And um, that that's where I really come into issue with some of these stories, because I mean, I believe like people should be given that choice, uh, whether it comes to like the genetic engineering issues or whether it comes to people uh, who in this time frame in the 24th century are born with disabilities but can be cured and, and, and treated of them, like someone like Jordy, for example. Um, 
it, it's all about personal choice. Okay. And if you're putting them in a situation where they don't have the personal choice, you're basically forcing them to do one thing or another. Uh, that's kind of where I, I draw the line and draw issues with that. All right. Um, on a slightly lighter note, what do you think is going to happen to the dog? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the dog is going to live a crazy happy life on that planet doing whatever the heck they want or can be because Tendi has no idea what a dog actually is. I would not be surprised if we see the dog return in season two. That's how I feel. I could see that. I, I feel like the dog along with Badgie are, are prime potential returning characters. That's how I feel. Yeah. Uh, also, episode eight, which I'm going to go ahead and say so far is my favorite episode. And I'm having this thing with Star Trek Lower Decks that I'm having with another love in my life, uh, AEW Dynamite, All Elite Wrestling, where every episode of Lower Decks I watch, I say to myself, this might be my favorite episode yet. And I've been saying that with almost every episode that goes along. And that's episode eight, Veritas. And the framework of this episode is a very classic Star Trek episode where we see the bridge crew on trial for something uh, with these aliens that that are holding them and asking them questions and bringing in witnesses. It's it's very Star Trek as a setup. But since this is Lower Decks, it goes places. Uh, Patrick, episode eight, Veritas. Uh, also, there was a Q cameo. So, uh, yeah. Uh, how did you feel about episode eight, Patrick? I have I have to agree with you when it comes to these episodes. Though I do have some issues with episode seven, the same as um, Heather does. Uh, pretty much every week I'm watching these and going, is this going to be my new favorite? Because it seems like it might be my new favorite. Um, and I have to kind of talk myself down until I've watched it a couple of times. Uh, this is one of those episodes where, kind of like Terminal Provocations, I laughed a lot. Um, but even more than that, I loved the Star Trek references, starting off with that, you know, that trial reminiscent of uh, Star Trek VI. Uh, I mean, it, Drumhead, even Boymore says the word Drumhead at one point during the episode. Um, and I love the, the cameos, the voice cameos. Um, Q is something, you know, they had announced at Star Trek Day, um, and we were looking forward to it. It was great to see him, but... I'm a big fan of Kurtwood Smith, who played the uh, alien character that was interrogating the Ensigns. Um, and I thought he did a really, really great job with the uh, the voiceover there, um, kind of sounding menacing, like they're really on trial, and then switching over at the end to being, you know, kind of like, well, this is where I had my wedding. Uh, <laughs> when they kind of find out they weren't really on trial. Spoiler alert. And then, of course, Ken Mitchell. Um, who we know from Discovery and various roles, um, doing a couple of voices here. And it actually wasn't the person, I, he wasn't voicing the character I thought he was voicing, um, but he actually voiced three from what I saw Mike McMahon mention on Twitter to somebody. Uh, he was the bug captain. He played one of the Romulans. Oh. And I believe he was the Starfleet security guard at that Vulcan museum uh, that the group went to, or Rutherford went to. Um, which, (laughs) speaking of that museum, oh my god, the amount of references and callbacks, um, the the ship from the end of First Contact was in the background, they had the TOS-style shuttlecraft hanging in the back, obviously the bird bird of prey that they ended up stealing. Um, I I love references and callbacks and those kind of things, and this show is just filled with them and sometimes they're not overt like they don't call everything out you know via a line which they do a lot but in this case it's a lot of the stuff that you have to look for in the background like i i freeze framed like i stopped the video on some of those uh when they were showing the museum just so i could kind of take a look oh okay yeah there's that there's that there's that um it was great i i it just was a plethora of star trek references and kind of star trek tropes all gathered together except done in that lower deck style that I think we're all kind of getting used to of how they approach Star Trek. I think what I love about what lower decks is doing is that it's showing a very obvious love of Star Trek, 
while also pointing out that Star Trek can be very silly. And this episode did a lot of that. And it's not malicious in any way. It is a very loving jabbing and ribbing at Star Trek. And I'm totally okay with that. And the end of this episode, where we got another appearance from John Delancey as Q, uh, this oh, is... I love this. There is nothing I love more when it comes to Q when there is someone in Starfleet that just totally blows him off. Like, nope, I'm I'm not dealing with your crap today, Q. And I, I wish there was more of that. I get the feeling that there are a lot of people in Starfleet that do that, that Q just shows up on the, the U.S. Sault Ste. Marie or something. Q just shows up there and the chief engineer is like, Q, go, go away, go away. We're, we're f- fixing the plasma inverters. Just, just give me an hour or so. Just, just leave me alone for a minute. And I love that Mariner did that at the end of that episode. Like, we've had too much today, Q. We're not dealing with your crap. <laughs> and th- that is, that might top Captain Cisco punching Q after Q hit him first, by the way. Q hit him first. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Just the, the go away, Q. We don't want to deal with you right now was just fantastic. Uh, Heather, uh, I, I've already said that I, I loved this episode. Uh, it was full of references and meta commentary on Star Trek that I loved. Uh, how about you, Veritas? What'd you think? I definitely loved it. Like I said, out of these three episodes, it was two episodes that I really love sandwiched between one. I didn't. Um, so yeah, Veritas was just chock full of amazing, um, references and moments. And honestly, out of all the things that were shoved into that episode that were so good, that final scene with Mariner and Q is probably my favorite of the entire episode. I just loved it. Um, I think Q is the perfect character, like to have a, a actual character that we've been introduced already Um, in a cameo on the show. I think Q was the perfect choice for that. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have anything more to add other than I really, really love this episode. I I think it it was just a lot of fun. And also, like, Boimler's defense of Starfleet kind of, like, towards the end of that trial when the the curtain was starting to come down and they were starting to realize it wasn't actually a trial. But his, his defense of how he sees Starfleet... And even though they are lower decks and they don't know, <laughs> they don't know what what goes on and 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 what the main crew are doing. But uh, for him to still have that passionate defense of even though I don't know what they're doing, I know they did something good. Like, and I know they did it for the right reasons. I it it was just a really good feel good moment there. Uh, I will say one more thing. It was the second to last scene from this episode where Captain Freeman was commending the Lower Deckers. And she said, from now on, the bridge crew will be more transparent and will let everyone else go. What's going on? And they started asking a whole bunch of questions. And then she just said, you know what? Okay, forget it. It's classified. It's all classified. Dismissed. And her daughter... I was like, ooh, so much for Captain Clarity over here. And she screamed <laughs> Captain out. Captain Clarity, yes. And she screamed out, I said dismissed! And that just, I was howling with laughter. Um, but yeah, Lower Deck Season 1. I'm going to go ahead and say this, guys. This is going to be a big statement. I think Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1 is the best first season of any Star Trek. I think that this has been about as good of a first season of a TV show as you can hope for. I will admit at the beginning, I thought the pilot was a little sketchy, but man, did it improve. And Lower Decks now is just a joy to watch every week. It is a highlight of my week. Uh, I, I mean, you- can, can I just say that especially the on the next episode, going into the, the next episode, which basically looks like it's just a bride of chaotica (laughs) (laughs) um remake and and tribute to that um 
I, I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> if yeah. if so we get uh, if we get like a cameo from Garrett Wang and, and Robbie McNeil doing Captain Proton, I will lose my mind. Oh, wow. oh my god. That would be unbelievable. That would I, be perfect. There was a lot I thought that could go wrong. Uh, this was this is one of those shows where uh, you know, being animated. Yeah, we've had the original series, original animated series, um, but making an actual comedy, I could have could have dipped into that making too much fun of Star Trek in a malicious way. But like you said, it, it doesn't. It, it's it very much is a group that that you can tell really love it. There's so many references for the hardcore fans, but you don't necessarily need to be a hardcore fan to really get into it. Um, and it just, it, it's really like a, it's a comedic love letter. Uh, you know, like you said, Star Trek can sometimes be silly and this just kind of highlights all of that. And I, I was, I was excited for it. I like the old animated comedies. I was a little nervous that it would be too much like Rick and Morty, which I felt that, you know, I've heard those same. comparisons time it's and again. Same. And I don't see that at all. I really don't. I mean, yeah, the animation is a little similar, um, but a lot of these adult animated comedies kind of look the same uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but it just it just doesn't. It just feels it, almost at the end of every episode. There, there's always uh, there's always some kind of heart there, you know, where, where there's a, a lesson learned or one of the characters where you think, oh, they're just going to go into this, the standard adult animated comedy trope of everybody being jerks to everybody else. No, they don't do that. Everybody helps everybody. At the end of the day, they want to do a good job and they, you know, they, they want to help their friends out and make sure that everybody's OK at the end. Um, so, yeah, the. I guess Mike McMahon is uh, is really hitting it out of the park with uh, with this right now. So I'm uh, I'm very impressed. I I couldn't be happier. Uh, let's go into upcoming business. Uh, we'll we'll run through these uh, at about warp six. Uh, Noah Hawley, uh, who was tagged to direct the next Star Trek film, whatever and whenever that might come out, uh, has confirmed that this film is currently in stasis. Uh, there's a lot going on with Viacom and CBS, uh, business-wise. Uh, and uh, he's also confirmed that it may or may not necessarily involve the Kelvinverse characters. Uh, it could feature a new cast and crew. Uh, he, he was pretty much confirming that it would feature a new cast and crew. Uh, how, how are you guys feeling about that? Uh, Patrick, I'll ask you. Uh the the Kelvin verse is pretty much done. It looks like. I hope not. I I, I know their uh, Paramount. I guess the new leadership there has kind of stated they're relooking at everything, uh, including Noah Hawley's film. And Noah Hawley said in a few different different, different interviews now um, that it's not dead. It's it, he said in stasis. He said, but it's still kind of on on the plate there, potentially happening. I guess the one thing that I, I didn't love is I'm not so sure I want another new crew. And this is kind of the fault of all the new TV series we've been getting. We've gotten a lot of new crews in the last couple of years. You know, we've got the Discovery crew, which a lot of us have fallen in love with, all those characters. Now we've got the Lower Deckers, and not only do we have the four main ensigns, we've got a whole new bridge crew that we're enjoying as well on that show. Um, then we're going to get Strange New Worlds, where, yes, there's some characters that have been featured briefly in Trek before, but now we get to learn more about them, and we're probably going to see even more new characters introduced. So I'm not sure that I wanted to see a new crew in a film. I was definitely hoping more for another Kelvin timeline movie, um, at least one more for that crew, because they really had such great chemistry. Um, no matter what you thought of the actual films themselves, I think everybody can agree that the casting of those films was amazing. Um and they just and that's another you know like we talked about before that's another crew a cast that seems to get along just not only on set but also outside you know um, that they still kind of are, are friends and they obviously were all very devastated when Anton passed a couple of years ago um, so yeah I I just wasn't I'm not on board with the idea I I didn't mind what the little bit he described about what the film was about. Um, but again, I feel like that could also have been twisted into, you know, what some of the people that aren't liking current Star Trek's uh, are saying, you know, too much dark, too many dark themes, you know, this utopia that Gene Roddenberry created. Now we're seeing kind of, you know, sometimes the utopia isn't as great as you think it is. And that's his uh, Holly story sounded like it might be a little bit something about that, that you have to kind of fight for your utopia. Um, and I feel like we've we've done that and I like those kinds of stories, but 
you know, throw me another script with the Kelvin timeline crew and I'll be happy. Uh, Heather, I'm going to save my thoughts on uh, the upcoming movie. I'll ask you, uh, how are you feeling about this? Uh, we're looking like there may not be a Kelvin verse movie again. And this movie's on hold so far. Well, I'm at the point that every time someone involved in some sort of these movies does an interview, uh, it just goes in one ear and out the other because it's all rumor and conjecture. Um, it, it's nothing concrete. Uh, they, they, they're just talking about their wishes and their hopes and their, their dreams, but there is no concrete evidence that any of these movies are actually going to happen. Um, I think that if they do make another Star Trek movie, which, I, I mean, I, I would go see it, yeah, but I, I think it needs to involve at least some part of the Kelvin crew. Because you can bring in new cast and new crew members and things like that. But in order to really keep that connection there, um, the things that people identify with Star Trek, and especially with the Star Trek movies right now, I think you need to have at least a part of the Kelvin crew from the first three movies in order to connect back to that and, and really bring in the fan base. Um I do think Noah Hawley could potentially create an aesthetically beautiful, creepy, mind-altering science fiction movie. Um, whether it's going to happen or not, I have no idea. And I, I, I'm at the point I don't even want to speculate on it because there, there's so much up in the air with all of that that it'll just make your brain hurt. <laughs> yeah. Keep thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. Like, and yeah, I would love to see it happen, but there's no concrete evidence that it's going to happen anytime soon. So I, I'm going to go even further. Uh, the more I see this, the more it confirms my feelings of the fact that I really do not care if we see a Star Trek movie uh, a film again for the foreseeable future all due respect to the kelvin cast uh i think that they were great uh i'm as big a fan of carl urban as you you'll find i loved him as dr mccoy i pretty much loved carl urban and everything uh and i think that cast did a really good job with the three movies they had i'm really not strongly attached to them and the idea of a new cast, I'm pretty much with all of you. And I will say that if there is a Star Trek movie, I really don't want it to involve anybody that isn't already in the current era of Star Trek. I feel like if they're going to do a Star Trek movie, it should involve the Discovery cast somehow in a few years, maybe after... You know, to use the old troop trope, six seasons and a movie. Uh, I'd like the cast of Discovery to have a good long run or, or Strange New Worlds or, or even Lower Decks. You could do like a, a big animated Lower Decks movie that would just be ridiculous and, and hilarious and awesome. But I think that right now, that'd really be the only way I would go. I'm I'm kind of over the Kelvin verse. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But I really feel no need to go back to it. And if if we don't, I, I will be okay with it, personally. And I might be in the minority on that one, but I'd say I'm okay with it. I can see it. And I, I mean, I, I obviously disagree with it a little bit, but... Um... Yeah, Beyond also was a great send-off, you know, very, felt very Star Trek-y, very TOS. So if that is our last one, I'll be sad about it. But I'll also be glad that we got, you know, we didn't end with Into Darkness, which was very divisive in the community. Um, you know, even people that didn't really like the Kelvin timeline seemed to kind of say that Beyond was a, a great story, those that actually watched it. Um, and I also agree about loving Carl Urban in everything that he's in. Um I had the a great opportunity a couple of years ago when I was first getting my nephew into Star Trek. Uh, we went to the set tour that's in New York that has the original series set 
all recreated in amazing detail. That's uh, Ticonderoga? Car- yes, Ticonderoga. Um, and Carl Urban was there as, uh, you know, one of the celebrity guests for an event they were having. Um, and it was as we were going through the autograph line with my nephew, um, you know, he was you know, doing the autographs, you know, saying a few words to each person. But when we got to my nephew, who was only nine at the time, um, and, and we kind of my dad was there as well. So it was like three generations of, of uh, you know, fans. Uh, we were like, oh, yeah, he just started you know, getting into Star Trek. We watched Beyond was actually the first movie that we watched together. Um, Carl kind of stopped, gave him a high five, asked him some questions, told him you definitely should go back and watch the 2009 movie and just really kind of took a little bit of extra time for a young fan. Um, and that kind of endeared me to him even more. Like I was already a fan of Carl Urban, but then he, you know, he was super awesome to my nephew. So pretty much, you know, he can do no wrong in my eyes anymore. Um, I also love him in The Boys, if, if anybody has seen that. Um, big fan of that. But yeah, so Carl Urban is pretty much the most awesome person ever in my opinion. And everyone should watch Almost Human. Yes. Uh, Lastly, guys, is there was another new thing. Uh, Jason Isaacs, uh, who played Captain Gabriel Lorca in season one of Star Trek Discovery, brought up the idea of Lorca, uh, whether it was his Terran character or the original Captain Gabriel Lorca, showing up in strange new worlds. I kind of dig it. I think Jason Isaacs is fantastic, and he clearly is having the time of his life with Star Trek. Uh, Heather, I'm pretty sure I can get your guess on this one, but what do you think about this? Okay, so I love Jason Isaacs, and I really enjoyed uh, Captain Lorca in Season 1. But... I think as much as I think there that there is a place in the current Star Trek universe to bring back Lorca, uh, especially the prime universe version of Lorca, because I think if you bring the character back, it should be the original version and not the Terran universe version. Um, I don't think it should happen in Strange New Worlds. And here's why. Because... Especially at the end of season one, Lorca was the bad guy. <laughs> he was the big bad of the entire season, practically. Um, and going into season two, when they introduced Pike to the ship and the Discovery and the viewers, they really strongly enforced, at least over the first couple episodes of season two, that Pike was the entire opposite of Lorca. Um, so... I, uh, as much as I would love to see the the prime universe and and not the bad guy version of Lorca, uh, come back into the the Star Trek universe, I don't think Strange New Worlds is the best way to introduce him because especially if you're gonna, if it's gonna be the prime Lorca, he's always gonna be seen as the bad guy compared to Pike, and. I want them to introduce the prime Lorca, but he needs to be introduced in a situation where he's not going to be the bad guy. And so I think that on the hopefully upcoming, eventually at some point, Section 31 show featuring our lovely Emperor Giorgio, I think that would be the perfect situation to introduce Prime Lorca back into the Star Trek universe. Because in that instance, in that story, going up against Section 31 and also an emperor from, former emperor from the Terran universe, Prime Lorca is going to be seen as the good guy. I think if you introduce Prime Lorca with Pike, Prime Lorca is still always going to be seen as less than Pike. Uh, because they work so hard to make Pike look as the, the good model captain. Uh, Lorca's always going to be seen worse off I, than him. I like your idea in Section 31, Lorca uh, coming back. But I do think that there would be room in Strange New Worlds for maybe a Captain Lorca redemption storyline. I think that could work uh, if they were willing to do maybe like a, a two or a three part 
kind of thing. Uh, kind of like how DS9 would do in their early season, sort of a, a short story arc. That would probably be the way to do it, but I definitely like your idea of Section 31. Uh, Patrick, uh, this idea of Lorca uh, returning to Star Trek somehow, what do you think? I really like Heather's uh, idea, and I hadn't kind of thought of it that way before, that if he were to show up in Strange New Worlds, he would kind of look like a lesser Pike still, even though he, you know, this Lorca would be the prime Lorca, the good guy. Um, So I I could definitely see it working better in Section 31. But the way I had thought about it when this first came up online, this idea uh, of Lorca showing up in Strange New Worlds, if we're to assume that Lorca is still in the mirror universe and still actually alive at this point, I thought that it would maybe make for a good end-of-season finale cliffhanger for Strange New Worlds, uh, maybe hinted at throughout the season a little bit. I know they're they're talking about being more episodic, um, but maybe you know at the end of the season – Somehow Discovery gets, uh, or not Discovery, Enterprise. The Enterprise somehow encounters him, whether it's deliberate to try to go save them because they somehow realize he's alive, or they get thrown in the mirror universe um, to, and then come across him, and maybe he's the one that helps them get out of there. I know it's a little bit too much like what Discovery did in Season 1 already, um, but I wouldn't mind seeing seeing Lorca in in Strange New Worlds in some way if it was, like you said, a a bit of a story arc, maybe one, two, or three episodes. but yeah, I honestly, after listening to Heather's uh, idea, I kind of am starting to like that more than my own my own thoughts on it, because um, <laughs> it would really it would also give Section Thirty One, besides obviously having some characters that we know from Discovery, um, you know, to have Jason Isaacs come back would be a pretty big moment, especially for fans of Discovery and uh, you know who really liked him in season one to kind of get you know there was a. I think the last photo that Isaacs took with the Discovery cast, they were holding a sign that said, find Prime Lurka. So yeah. to kind of have him show up again would be a, would be a pretty big deal. And I think it would give a little uh, little boost to that series. Because I, I think out of all of them right now, Section 31 is the series that maybe not everybody is totally on board with. Um, and, and they're kind of like, well, how are they going to do that? Is it going to be very dark? Is it going to be lighthearted? You know, how, how are they going to deal with that? So... I think that that would make for a great story in Section 31. Yeah. I'm also not going to lie. Part of the reason why I don't want him in Strange New Worlds is because the amount of female fans going, no, Pike, no, Lorca, no, Pike, no, Lorca. <laughs> oh, my God. They drive me crazy. Okay. You're, I can't deal not... with it. I can't have the two of them on the same show. It just can't no, happen. No, sh- no shipping wars. No fandom wars. No fandom wars, please. All right. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, he, here on Promenade Merchants, we love both Prime and Lorca. We love them both. And we love each and every one of you out there listening across the Alpha Quadrant for listening to Promenade Merchants. Patrick Escudero, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, tell everybody what you got going on and where they can follow you. Uh, if you want to talk Star Trek, I'm always up for it. Uh, at Patrick E34 on Twitter, uh, usually the best place and really the only place to find me these days because I'm on there way too much. Um, yeah, so reach out to me, talk Star Trek. Anything in this episode that I said that you don't dis- you disagree with, feel free to tell me that I'm crazy. I would <laughs> love love to talk Trek with anybody that wants to. Awesome, Patrick. Thank you again for joining us, uh, Heather. We've got another episode done and done uh thank you as always for joining me uh you could follow heather everybody at nerdy gal 33 on twitter and heather i believe you have something else going on don't you i do um i got back on my social justice warrior high horse and i started another twitter account um it's called nerds for the future and which I share in every post um, some sort of fandom or inspiration that inspires me to a fight for a better future for our world and also links towards uh, charities and campaigns in which you can donate if you want to join in on the fight. So you can follow my social justice warrior page, <laughs> Nerds for the Future. It's at Nerds, F-G-H-T, the number four, the capital F. 
<laughs> it's kind of complicated, and we'll, but and we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and you can follow this very podcast on the Twitter Twatter at Prom Trek Pod. Prom P R O M Trek. You know that one. Pod P O D. Uh, listen to us in all sorts of podcasting aggregation systems, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Google Music Podcasts. Yes, we are, in fact, on Amazon Music like the cool kids and wherever you get your podcast. Promenade Merchants, it is a Star Trek podcast. Look for it by name. Thank you all for listening. Walk with the prophets. Live long and prosper. And uh, everybody do your sarcastic live long and prosper wave like Mariner. We're out. <laughs>